Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. This was on NBC News, and you can check it out yourself. You go to Department of Homeland Security. And now, guess what? Potential terror threats are those who are opposing COVID measures, claims the election fraud, belief that Trump can be reinstated, and uh, anything to do with 9-11 anniversaries, uh, remembrances, or even celebrating of religious holidays is now a potential terror threat. Guess what? That's you and I. We've been talking about opposition to COVID measures because, frankly, the science and the medical is not there. We've shown over and over again that there's problems with this thing. People have an adverse reactions, and now the vaccinated are the ones spreading the Delta variant. And yet we end up on a list on the Department of Homeland Security that if you are opposing this, uh, you're a potential terrorist. You understand why they're doing this, right? You understand why they're marginalizing us, why they're putting us into uh, lumping us together as a group called the evangelicals, because it's the evangelicals typically are not doing this, not going with this. And so now we're being the pariah, making this out to be the pariahs, the bad guys of, of society. They're the hateful people. They're the ones that don't want to save people's lives. And then you got the pushback from the other so-called Christians saying, you know, love thy neighbor. You guys are not loving thy neighbor. Well, no, I'm actually obeying the sixth commandment that says you shall not murder. Okay, we don't do things that could actually kill people. We don't do things that can give them cancer and different things of that nature. And so, unfortunately, you're not going to get any help outside. Uh, let me say this, too, before we go in. The Sixth Commandment is about protecting life, okay? So that's why we feel that we need to warn people about what's happening with these vaccines, with these COVID viruses and junk like that. And I, I find it amazing that uh, a nurse had contacted me from our church and told me that, you know, hey, look, I'm going to need the, the, you know, the, what am I giving out? I don't even remember what I'm giving out. The exemption, religious exemption. And I guess they were talking about it, that among their other nurses there. And, you know, for goodness sakes, they, these other nurses go into their churches and their churches refuse to give out a, res- a religious exemption because they don't want to be seen as opposing uh, the vaccine. That tells me everything right there. For goodness sake. And they, I guess that apparently there was like 15 churches involved in this, that they refuse to give out religious exemptions to people. Right there tells me what side they're on. Right there. That is a black and white issue, man. And, and, and right now, now that we're being targeted by the Department of Homeland Security as, as a problem, ah, okay. You know, a lot of those churches probably that didn't, that won't give a religious exemption are the ones that took the, the PPP during the COVID lockdowns and they took Caesar's money. And they're not going to uh, disobey Caesar who gave them a bunch of money. I hate to tell you that, but that's really how the game is played. But that should concern you. So I'm telling you this. You tell your Christian friends, you tell your family, even non-Christians, whatever, if they need a religious exemption, Rock Harbor will give them an exemption, and they can take that to their employer, okay? So you let them know that. And I will say this. I am working this week on adding 
something about the swabs and the PCR tests. Okay? On to the, on the exemption. Now, what's happened is your employer is going to tell you, well, you're not going to be vaccinated. We're going to test you twice a week or something like that, once a week, whatever it might be. And here's the thing. I want on the religious exemption to say this, that the EPA and other cancer institutes back in December of 2016 determined that the chemical that's on the swab, that they stick up your nose, up to your brain, that chemical is a carcinogen. And the EPA and these other cancer institutes have indicated, and I read this this week, that overexposure to this chemical might or could cause cancer, lymphoma, breast cancer, and all kinds of other types of cancers, I read. That's, and I went directly to the EPA for them stating that. Wait a second. You're going to tell me, I don't want to get vaccine, that you're going to have me every week, for twice a week, stick a carcinogen in my nose for how many months? When does this end? Now, I did hear they're going to pull the PCR test uh, coming up uh, at the beginning of the year next year. But, okay, so let's say they pull it then. So I got to go through September, October, November, December, twice a week, sticking things in my nose that are carcinogens? I don't think so. I don't want to put anything in my body that could hurt it, and that's a violation of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We don't poison our body. We don't put things in it that can harm our bodies because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to be adding that. If you And if you need that exemption, you just let me know. We'll get it out. But, guys, I need you to help me. Get the word out. Tell your friends. If they want it, we'll give it to them. we got copies on the back. On the way out, grab as many as you need. Pass them out. Do what we need to do. We need to stand against this. We need to fight this. And whatever price we end up paying, we pay it. But we're not going to go along like a bunch of lemmings right off the cliff and put people in danger because of this commandment right here, that life is sacred. And we believe that. And if we don't believe that, then that leads us into all kinds of problems, as we'll see and talk about today. So in this commandment, this is the basis of society. Now, in all the law issues of Israel, whether it's stealing laws, whether it's um, coveting, marital laws, all these other things, lying, it all starts with how the society deals with this commandment. Okay? So everything starts here. So life is sacred, and that means that I not only cannot take that life, I can't take that person's things, I can't take that person's reputation, I can't lie about them, I can't uh, covet what they have, uh, all that stuff. It leads into all kinds of other issues. So if you can't get this one right, then you can't get the rest of it right. That's what's wrong with our society. Our society cannot get this command because it has a death culture that's going on in our, in our society. The command is simple. You shall not murder. It doesn't say you shall not kill. It says you shall not murder based on the, the Hebrew word rasak. And so if it wanted to say thou shall not kill, it would use a different Hebrew word. And the Hebrew word is harag. Uh, and that means to kill. But it, no, it used ratsak, uh, which means to murder. Now, unfortunately, we have a lot of pacifists and liberal Christians, progressive Christians, 
who misinterpret this and say, ah, it says thou shalt not kill, therefore we shouldn't be for capital punishment, we shouldn't be for war, and we should be just like the Amish, a bunch of pacifists, or the Mennonites, we're a bunch of pacifists. That's not what it's saying. They're misinterpreting the passage. It's murder, and murder defined by the Bible is the illegal uh, or immoral taking of another person's life. There are the allowances to kill, whether it's animals or capital punishment, which we'll talk about today, or in war. Killing is allowed in war. Killing is allowed in capital punishment for justice and things of that nature. So, And even the killing of animals, because Israel had to sacrifice their animals. They also had to kill animals to eat as well. So I know this is, there's a whole movement right now in Christianity from the progressive left that say, no, man, man, we need to be vegetarians. We shouldn't kill animals or anything like that. And it's like, no, no. God says you can and you need to eat the flesh. But the funny thing is what was predicted by Paul that in the end times, they would forbid the eating of meat. And that's what they're getting ready to do. That being the case, you understand that? Simple, right? But let's see how this flushes out. Now, a lot of what I'm going to talk to you about, you already know, but we're going to talk about how to apply it and how to do it uh, in standing for life in our society and all that it entails as far as responsibility is concerned. So the first implication I want to show you is this, is society must see human beings as made in the image of God. We're image bearers. So you see this in Genesis 126, and it says this, um, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, talking about the Trinity. So angels and humans are made in God's image, which means that um, they carry with them something that's different than animals, and the image of God. Now, let me explain this a little bit. You get your bodies uh, from your parents, obviously, your genetic codes and whatnot, and your genetic code can be traced all the way back to Noah's three sons and then eventually back to Adam and Eve. So your body, you're a direct descendant from Adam. And interesting enough, the genetic code has three markers in it. If they tested your DNA today, you would have one or more of these three markers. And it's funny because there's only three these three markers and there was only three sons of Noah. And it shows you that our genetic lines go all the way back to Noah's three sons. So anyway, that being the case, you get your body there. Okay. So when your body is being created in your mother's womb, when the zygote is formed, when the egg is fertilized, and the zygote is formed, that's human life at that point in time, okay? And and it's just not a cell, it's not tissue, because according to Zechariah chapter 12, it is the time when God puts the spirit and the soul into that body at that time. He is the one who breathes life into that. And so this whole thing about, you know, late-term abortion, all this stuff. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's life because God puts the soul and the spirit at that time. So it is a person. And then the body is simply forming through that period of time because that person has a soul and a spirit. That's the essence of the person. And so this is the idea of being made in God's image. We, we are, are a body-soul creature, a body uh, that's in, that's material and a soul that's immaterial. Um, that being the case, then it creates the situation where life is sacred. 
But I want you to think about this, the implication of that. If I do not see people not made in God's image, I can tell you what you'll start thinking about. I can tell you how you'll start viewing humanity. I can tell you where it will take you down the road and where it ends up. See, this is what happens to people who don't accept the biblical view. They will eventually demonize or monsterize people. They will make other people subhuman, second-class citizens, marginalize them. And then, when you can monsterize them, make them inhuman, whatever, then you feel justified in doing harm to them. And this is where it ends up. So if your society doesn't get this right, it will start seeing people as useful tools, and if they're not useful, we'll just get rid of you. If you're, you're preventing our society from doing what it needs to do, then we'll eliminate you. That's how it works in people's heads. That's how you get there. And then the second aspect we have to get under our belts is this. If we're made in God's image, the society must see that human life is sacred and must be protected since it's a gift from God. So with, with that being said, life is sacred. It obligates everybody who understands this to protect it at all costs. It brings the responsibility to you and I. So we can understand the command, but you have to do the command by being responsible. Well, what do you mean? Well, for instance, like Leviticus told Israel this. Uh, In Leviticus, it says this. You shall take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Now, the, 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 the English is clunky. What the Hebrew is saying is that you shall stand up for your neighbor and protect his life is the idea. You should do this. You will do this. This is important that you protect your neighbor, your family, anybody. I am the Lord. So it's a command, right? And then furthermore, if you go to the New Testament, a lot of people get this one wrong, but it shows you this is where our founding fathers got the right to bear arms. So this is in Luke. And again, it's Jesus telling them to protect themselves and protect others. And he said to them, when I sent you without money, without a money bag, knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said nothing. Then he said to them, But now, he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment to buy one. So let me just stop right there. What's happening? This is the night before he's going to be crucified, and he's telling the boys, hey, guys, as long as I was with you, I gave you my protection, a, a personal protection, and nothing happened to you. I provided for you, and you were okay. But I'm getting ready to leave you. He's going to go to the cross the next day and eventually ascend back into heaven. But the issue then is, boys, I need you to sell some stuff because I need you to buy a sword. What are the implications? That he's removing that certain special protection over them that they had with him and that they're now going to have to defend themselves or others. Okay, so he tells them specifically, go buy a sword, something to, to arm yourself with. Now, let me explain the rest of the passage, and, and I'll show you the background on the next phrase I want to point out. For I say to you that, w- th- that this which is written must be accomplished in me, talking about the death of the Messiah. And he was numbered with the transgressors, talking about, again, the prediction of it. For the things concerning me have an end. So he was, Messiah was quite content to stop there, but then the disciples, you know, usually they didn't understand. 
So they follow up. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Now, a lot of progressive leftist Christians misinterpret the passage. They say, see, he's just telling them, that's not what I meant. I was speaking metaphorically. I wasn't speaking in black and white. You guys take me too seriously, man. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. See, when the problem is with the left, Christian left, is they don't know context. They don't know the Hebraic background, and they don't know their, even the first century background. The reason they said, look, Lord, here are two swords, and he says, wait, that's enough, is because under Roman law, you could carry one sword, but you, can, you can't carry two. If you carry two swords, then you were seen as an insurrectionist, and you would be arrested. So when they say, here are two swords, he's backing them up. Boys, I just told you to get one sword, not two. Don't draw attention to yourself by having more than one sword because the Romans will put you in jail. So just have one. By the way, Peter was armed the night the Lord was was, uh, arrested. Do you remember? Somebody cut off Malchus's ear. Do you remember who it was? Peter said, grabbed his sword, took it out, and he was going to split Malchus's head. I mean, he missed and he hit the ear. Where did Peter get a sword? He, it was, he, Peter was armed. So it's, it's a misnomer to think that these guys weren't armed. So what's the equivalent today? If Messiah says, sell all you have and defend yourself with whatever instrument in your period of time is needed, then you go do it. That means buy a gun and use that to defend yourself against anyone that would come into your house. I, 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 I cannot believe you have pacifistic Christians, that, and, and they've been asked, what would happen if an intruder came in your house, and he was going to go after your wife and your kids? What would you do? Would you defend? No, I would just trust God, and I would stand there. Are you out of your mind? No, no, no. Your job is to defend them. But pacifists say that. Oh, I would just, I would just trust God in that situation. Excuse me. God won't do for you what you're responsible for. He won't do that. Your job is to protect life. You have every obligation to defend yourself and to defend your family. I cannot believe people would even think like that. But again, it's that that progressive leftist mindset. You know, make love, not war. No, no nuclear arms. No this, no that. Destroy the military. We don't need the military. All this other junk. That's that same mindset. Same mindset. And it's because they don't understand the sin nature and they don't understand the preciousness of life. The reason you have a strong military is to protect life. That's the whole point. You have a strong military to protect your citizens. You don't have a weak military. That's what they've been doing to our military, right? You can see the implications in all of this. Really sad, isn't it? So if our responsibility is to protect life, why are so many people now in our society watching things happen and just letting it go? They don't get involved. They won't act. People are getting hurt and people are just walking by. Not my, not my problem. Not my problem. Do you remember a character in Genesis chapter 4 that had that mentality after he killed somebody? Murdered somebody? Not my problem. Where's your brother? Not my problem. I'm not my brother's keeper. People today have the attitude of Cain. Because Cain didn't value life, he murdered somebody, and it shows you he doesn't value life. So let me show you an example of this guy. 
This guy's a puke factor right now, if you think about him. This is the guy, Scott Peterson, that was involved. He was the uh, campus policeman, the only guy armed on the, in Parkland in that school where you had an active shooter going in there and killing people. The, the active shooter, it was a kid, and he, was, he killed 17 people, by the way, through it all. Through it all. He, this guy decided to stand down and hide and quiver and like the coward he is, didn't do anything. He let this guy shoot up 17 people and kill him because he was preserving his life. It's a coward. But where did he get that mentality? Because he sure didn't get it from the Bible. Ah, uh, he gets it from a society that has jettisoned the Bible. That's the only way you would see people act in such selfish, self-interest ways is because they don't have any Bible in them. Jesus said this about protecting people's lives. No greater love than this, and you know the rest, that a man or a person lay down their li- his life for his friends. He didn't learn that. So he doesn't, because he doesn't know that, he doesn't value life. And so he stood down. And even when the police came, he told the police to stay 500 feet back. And, let, and this guy was just going rampant. That's a picture of the mentality that's being created in our society. And these are the kinds of people you will get. They don't take care of life. They don't protect it. They don't fight for it. They don't say anything. They just let things happen. Not my problem. I'm not my brother's keeper. That's the mentality. No, the Bible says you are your brother's keeper and you are to protect those lives. Now, how does this flush out in, in practicality? Well, a couple of things I want to mention. First of all, it bans genocide. And everybody would understand that. It bans genocide. You can't have genocide. And a genocide is, goes beyond you know, borders. It's an elimination of a, a particular group, no matter where they're at. And we've seen examples of this. Right now, we're seeing it in Nigeria, right? Uh, and you don't hear this on the, on the news because this is not popular. All the Christians are being eliminated by Muslims. And because it doesn't fit the narrative then this doesn't get reported. So these poor Christian Nigerians are being slaughtered by Muslims. Well, why don't they report it? Because the Muslims are the buddies with the globalists and the communists. And so they're not going to talk about their Muslim buddies who are slaughtering Christians. And so even in our own society, this goes unreported. They don't care about life. So here's where all the attacks are happening. And it's, it's in the thousands and thousands and thousands that's happened. That's called a genocide, right? I want you to think about something right now. With what's medically happening, this is a global problem, okay? A global problem with the virus and the vaccines, okay? And I just, I'm not going to say it's genocide, but I want you to think about what their intent is. These globalist intents... They want to depopulate our planet. They want to get it down to 2 billion people. Not 7 billion, but 2. How are they going to do that? Because already Bill Gates and his ilk already sterilized people in Africa. They've sterilized people in in, uh, India. What are they trying to do? They, They promote abortion. They promote euthanasia. They promote all these things that are death dealing. And they've created a death culture because they want to reduce the population. 
If we end up with universal health care, which I think is on the fast track, coming soon, you're going to see soft euthanasia to our elderly. You're going to see it. They're just not going to be given the care that they need. They said, well, you know what? You need to take one for the team. You've lived a long life, and so we can't do all these medical things necessary. So here's some morphine. That's called soft euthanasia because you don't value life. Oh, yeah, take one for the team, huh? That's crazy. That's communism talking. But, but I listened to Dr. Zelenko. He was Trump's doctor this week. I played him on Wednesday night. It was brilliant. Here's an interesting thing that he said, and I want you to, to do your own conclusions on this, okay? I want you to come to your own conclusion. I'll give you the facts that he said, but I want you to come to your own conclusions, okay? He says, obviously, he's against the vaccination, right? He's saying this is problems, this is crazy, this is nuts. It's going to cause all people, uh, it's going to cause a lot of death. So here's what he said. Statistically, statistically speaking, hypothetically, if you left everybody in the world unvaccinated and just let COVID-19 run its course, at the end of it, you would have worldwide about 35 million people that would die from it. Now, 35 million is bad, but we, we have more people die of the common cold and the flu worldwide than even that, or, or you know, dysentery and all kinds of other things. But we don't do things like we're doing with COVID-19 with these other issues. I wonder why. Okay, so you have 35 people that would die naturally from the COVID, uh, sorry, from the COVID virus. He then made an interesting point. He says, if you vaccinated everybody on the planet, everyone got a vaccine, based on the stats right now coming from it, two billion people would die. Now I want you to compare the two and you make your own conclusion. Let the thing run naturally and 35 million die. Okay. Vaccine everybody and 2 billion people die? There's no comparison. Do you see that? There's no com 2 billion versus 35 million? That's a big difference. I think we'll take our chances with dealing with it naturally. But yet, why do they want to push a vaccine that could have the potential of killing way more, significantly more people? Why would they do that? Huh. The Bible forbids genocide. The Bible also uh, forbids democide. Democide is the idea of a government or a state going after a certain group in its society to get rid of them. Okay? Now, what happens in this, this kind of situation is that the politicians, the elites, determine that they're going to make a scapegoat out of somebody. And what they do is they're going to put every blame on that group and then marginalize them, talk bad about them, say they're the cause of all of our problems, and it continues to stair-step them down the path to the point to where you say, they are hostile. we got to do something about these people. They're ruining the economy. They're ruining people's lives. We have got to do something. Now, if you come from an evolutionary mindset or you just don't value human life, I can already tell you what you'll decide to do with those people in that group. It's what this guy did. He blamed the Jews for all the Nazis' problems, all of Germany's problems. And he said, look, they're the problem. They're the ones messing up our economy. They're taking all the money. They're, they're, then he dehumanized them by calling them rats and vermin and things of that nature. And then through propaganda and media, people started believing it. 
And like, yeah, yeah, it's the Jews, it's the Jews, it's the Jews. Let's get them, round them up, put them in camps. Well, what's the point of even having them in a camp? Let's just exterminate them. They're our problem. If we get rid of the Jews, then, then, then Germany will solve its problem. Yeah. You know how that ended, right? How could anyone get from that mindset to doing that to people? How do you get there? You devalue human life. So let me add this to you. Right now, Christianity, real Christianity, is being done the same way in America. It's being marginalized. We're being called uh, haters. We're being called that we don't love people uh, because we won't be vaccinated. And we're the problem. And they say we're the ones spreading the Delta variant, and we're not. It's the vaccinated that are spreading the Delta variant. How come they're not flipping that over and saying that? And you know what? This week, I, it's funny. Uh, maybe not funny, but it's funny, strange. I was, I was perusing on the CDC website. Do you know they had an article on the CDC website that their plans of what to do with the unvaccinated. And you can look it up yourself. I'll show, I'm going to show it this Wednesday. They said, well, you know, we're going to maybe confine people at home, confine them from their families, or perhaps put them in camps. Why are we even using the word camp? The camp, the word camp is right there on the CDC thing, on the article. Camps? What are you talking about? You're gonna put, are you telling me that one of the options for the government is to put unvaccinated people in the camps? Is that what you're saying? Because it's on the CDC website. Now, maybe whether or not they implement it, I just want to know why even someone would even write that. Camps? So let me add this. So another thing. The, the, uh, Indeed website that posts job descriptions, you know, for, if you're looking for a job, you can go on Indeed. And you look for jobs. This is interesting. The government, the military, is floating jobs for correctional officers for internment camps. You can make up to $130,000. No joke. I'm not, I, I'm going to show this on Wednesday night. I, I, I saw, I saw the, the things, the, 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 it's on Indeed. Wait a second. What, what, what does that mean? What does that mean if the military is floating jobs for correctional officers for internment camps? Where am I at? What's happening here? Is anyone seeing this? How come no one's talking about this? I'm not crazy. I read it myself. I'm not even making this stuff up. You can't. But this is the mentality that gets you to that. If you devalue life, you will marginalize people, dehumanize them, and be, and be willing to stick them in camps and eventually kill them. That's the mentality of where it's going, by the way. Now, whether or not we're here for that, I don't know. But I can tell you this. It definitely will happen in the tribulation. The Antichrist is going to do that. He'll just kill them. It's going there. And you're thinking, these kids, these young, these young adults, these millennials and stuff, they're, they're all enamored with socialism and Marxism and communism. And it's like, oh, you know, uh, we got to go there. It's more equal and, and fair. And, and it's like, do you understand that communism, Marxism, uh, socialism is not just simply a political movement? It is a religious ideology of atheism. It is a religion. They have their own high priests. They have their own sacrificial lambs. They have their eschatology. It's a full-blown religion. Leftism, communism, all that is a religion. And you know what that religion teaches? 
There is no value in human life. You are nothing but a brick in the wall, like building the Tower of Babel. And all when you're used, you're used up and we can't use you, we just replace you with another brick. We don't see any value in you other than what you can produce. And so you would like to tell these people, you like communism, socialism, Marxism so much? Look how the track record of communism is. In a hundred years of communism, a hundred million people are dead now because of that. It tells you this political ideology is a cult of death. And guess who the author of destruction and death and lying is? Yeah, Satan. You got it. So let me add one more thing, too. The other implication. It's a, it, it bans suicide. Now, that's obvious. It would ban self-murder. And you all know that, so I don't need to go into this. But I will say this. What is the obligation, then? If suicide is wrong, what am I obligated to do? You're obligated to prevent the environment from happening that would create suicide. What do you mean? Well, not only just checking in your family, if everyone's okay, making sure everybody's mentally healthy, but it's one step further, what's going on in society, right? So let me add this. What they did to America and the world was create what they call a collective anxiety among everybody. And it started with using fear. Fear for your life, fear of getting the virus, fear of not being vaccinated, fear this, fear that, fear that. And before you know what they did is, we got to shut everything down. We're going to shut everything down. And and we shut down for a, nearly a year or whatever. Do you know what that did mentally to people? It messed them up royal. Okay? So what happened is, you have this collective anxiety, which was based on false fear, that you're going to do this, you're going to die, you're going to do this, you better do this, you better lock down, you better wear a mask, you're going to die, you're going to kill everybody. <sighs> and people are just freaking out. They're still freaking out today. Still freaking out. And, and so that creates an anxiety, it creates depression, and so depression started coming down on people as a collective group. Counselors saw this, I saw it, other people saw it, and they tried to say something about it, but no one wanted to hear it. The media didn't want to pick up the story. In young people, this escalated, by the way. It escalated in young people. Teenage girls doubled in suicide rates. Okay? So the, the, among teens, suicide skyrocketed. Okay? And young adults. And then just the general population had a low level of depression. But let me tell you something about suicide. 90% of the people who commit suicide have mental problems that lead into the suicide, okay? So, you have a population where a lot of people are on edge, mentally speaking. A lot of people are on meds and things of that nature to, hold, to keep them normal, to keep them balanced, to keep them above board so they don't sink into depression. So, if you externally put more pressure on them in a depressive environment, guess what happens? You kick them over the edge. And you kick them over the edge to where they'll start not just committing suicide, but they'll start exhibiting neurotic behavior, psychotic behavior, addictions, things of that, and they start acting weird because you've kicked them over to the side, over the edge. And that's what happened collectively to our society. 
So, when you oppose a lockdown, which I do, I'm doing it because I want to protect the mental health of people. When these stupid churches shut down, when the facts came out and they still shut down, they caused mental health problems among their congregation. Do they care? No, because they were getting PPP money. Take that money from Caesar. I bet it was good, but you're going to have to answer for that one. They have no idea mentally what they did to people by shutting the churches down. No idea. And the long-term effects, we will not know until five, ten years out what it actually did to people. When we see an environment that causes depression, we are to fight against that because it leads to suicide. And that's what happened. We move on. It's a ban on abortion. Well, obviously. But unfortunately, somehow... Some of the church doesn't understand this. Some of the churches are actually promoting abortion now as a woman's right. Yeah, in the churches, yeah. 63 million babies have been slaughtered in the womb. The most dangerous place in America is a mother's womb. How does that, how did that happen? Because people devalue life. Well, you know, it wasn't the right guy. It wasn't the right timing. I don't have the right resources, whatever. It's too much. All these excuses are going to have to be answered to God. And, and, and I'm going to tell you this. With abortion happening in America, we set the stage for abortion around the world, by the way. And that, that permeated all through the societies around the world. One of the things about shedding innocent blood is that you defile your own land. Okay, Israel will be talked about defiling their own land. When you shed innocent blood, it actually pollutes your land. Now, what does that mean? Well, when the land is polluted by blood, innocent blood being shed... It stores up God's wrath for that society. And the more blood is shed, the more wrath that keeps building and building and building until finally it reaches a level and God says, I'm done. And he pounds the nation or he pounds the society and he just judges it. He gives them time to repent. And I think that time is coming for the whole world with the tribulation. That's why the waters turn to blood. In the tribulation. That's why the lakes and the seas turn to blood. He's giving humanity exactly what they wanted. You wanted to shed innocent blood? Then here's the blood. All water on planet earth will turn to blood as a judgment for shedding innocent blood, for polluting the entire planet with human blood. That's what's coming. Scary, isn't it? But thank God we're under the grace of the blood of the Messiah. We will not have to deal with that. We are spared that. But Proverbs 31 says our responsibility for those who are in the womb. Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. These babies are appointed to die in their mother's womb. You have to say something. You have to say something in your family. You have to say something among your friends. Now, you may not be able to change anything with them, but at least you have to say something. You're responsible for opening your mouth. Now, you can, you can get involved in Kern County Right to Life, Bakersfield Pregnancy Center, because they're doing great work, and you can get involved at that level. But at the end of the day, you as an individual have to stand up to this. You have to say, not on my watch, not happening, not going ha- to allow this. And you do what you can, right? Now, you can't change everything, but you at least, look what it says, open your mouth, 
Many Christians commit the sin of silence. Many churches are committing the sin of silence because they won't open their mouth. You know what dis- disappoints me? I talked to uh, the, the Kern County Right to Life director. I, I did an interview with her, and here's what she was telling me. I, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. She told me it is so difficult for her to get churches to support the Kern County Right to Life. She can't get them on board. I said, what is that about? That's just a black and white issue. Every Christian should be against abortion. She goes, I can't get them. They go, the pastors cop out and they say, oh, it's just too political. Political, it's about murder. It interse- I don't care if it's political, it's intersecting with the Bible. And they, oh, they, oh, it's too political. Or they say, oh, that, that, that fight's over. We don't want to fight that anymore. Oh, my land. You know what God tells us to be? A watcher on the wall. And he goes, I hold the watcher on the wall responsible if the watcher doesn't warn people. If the watcher refuses to warn, I will hold him accountable for that blood. So these churches and pastors who refuse to deal with this, their blood is going to be on, the baby's blood is going to be on their hands for not at least saying something. That's evil. That's wicked. That's passive evil. Couple more things before we end. It's a, it puts a ban on putting oneself intentionally in risky, life-threatening situations. Now, most people say, I'm not going to do that. You know, yeah, I, I won't, I won't climb Yosemite without a rope. Uh, but, but what does that mean? It means right now what the issue is, is think medically for yourself. Would you put something in your body that you don't know? Would you put a carcinogen in your body? Would you put something that could affect you and hurt you and harm you? You're obligated not to do that. See, that situation came up and was a temptation for the Lord that Satan put before him. Remember, he took him to the highest pinnacle and said, throw yourself down and his angels will carry you, right? It was, you know, attempting to, to try to commit suicide, but God won't allow it and he'll, he'll hold you up. And what does Jesus respond? You shall not tempt the Lord. Putting yourself in situations that are risky is a tempting of the Lord. And the mindset of the person is, well, I'm going to just go ahead and do it, and I'm just going to trust God on this. Whoa, wait a second. Ho, ho. If you knowingly do something that's risky, and you think you're going to be able to fall back on God, you have another thing coming. He doesn't work like that. God doesn't do for you what you're responsible for. He will not do that. He'll help you when you can't do things for yourself, but he will not do things that you're responsible for. And you're responsible to discern whether or not taking something into my body is risky. That's your choice. But you're not obligated to do that. And I want you to know that when your employer tells you, or you can't fly, or you can't go anywhere because you haven't been vaccinated. Furthermore, it's a ban on purposeful medical malpractice. Now, I added that because this is what's going on here. This is the greatest medical malfeasance we have ever seen. And a lot of it has to do with money. I want you to think about this. How come during the pandemic, when people were getting sick, but yet other people were having cancer, heart attacks, strokes, things of that nature, motorcycle accidents, car accidents, And these other people who had like a motorcycle accident, they died and they said, COVID, heart attack, COVID, stroke, COVID. Because you know what was happening? 
the hospitals were getting $35,000 per COVID patient. That's why. The big pharma, Moderna, Pfizer, all these groups that were on their heads economically are now multi-billionaires after pushing this vaccine in the billions. Folks, if you want to know what's happening, follow the money. The medical malfeasance can be traced to not only the globalists wanting what their agenda is, the Great Reset, but it also can be traced to money. Why is it that, and, and, and nurses have told me this, and other doctors that I've talked to about this, that somebody like gets sick right after the injection, and the doctor won't say anything. Oh, it's not related. It's not related. It's not related to the shot. Hey, it was like a day after they got the shot. And then uh, I just heard someone in our congregation tell me they have a friend or whatever, got the shot, and then the next day they're dead. And the doctor's like, I don't know what that is. What are you talking about? You don't know what it is. When I get symptoms, they say, well, have you been doing this, doing that, doing that? Tell me. Oh, no, it wasn't the shot. Why are they doing that? Why are the doctors playing a game? Not all doctors understand that. But why are they doing that? Is it about money? Yeah, it's about money. They're keeping their money personally because they don't want to lose their license and go against their medical narrative, and they don't want to uh, be fired from their group and kicked out of their group or whatever. But it's always about saving their jobs, isn't it? That's called medical malfeasance. It's banned by this passage. Last one I'll point out is the ban on euthanasia. It's obvious. You can't kill yourself. In eight Eight states in the United States, you can do that. You can do it in California, Hawaii, uh, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, and a few other ones. And then I think in the D.C. you can do it, which is not a state, but you can still do it in D.C. How did we get there? I mean, what started, remember with Dr. Kevorkian, man, you know, mercy killings, stuff like that, right? Well, these people are dying, so they want to end their life with dignity, as they said. Folks... No one can end their life on their own. It is God who is the life giver, and it is God who is the life taker. You cannot just take your own life. Even if you're terminally ill, God keeps people alive for a reason. For you to monkey around in that is to get into his business. And I don't think he takes too kindly with people trying to monkey around when people exit this life. But I can tell you this, this growing trend of euthanasia, the fact that this door has been opened is going to allow them to practice soft euthanasia on our elderly eventually. And I mentioned that before, but you're just going to see senior saints not be able to get the kind of care they would normally get because they're rationing the health care to these individuals. And let alone, if you haven't been vaccinated, watch and see how they treat you as far as getting an operation, as far as getting medical things, because there's going to come a time when they say, you can't have this disease. I'm sorry, you can't uh, be operated for this disease because you haven't been vaccinated. It's coming. Personally, what, what can I do? Now, here's the deal. All those things you know is wrong. So I'm been preaching to the choir. My thing is, you have to be a protector of life. You have to go and speak against this stuff. You open your mouth. That's how you do it. Don't be afraid to say something. I know they're going to tell you you're crazy. They're going to say you're nuts. You go to a cult. You're this. You're this. You're part of this. You have to say it no matter what. Because if you're silent, that's the sin of silence. Okay. That's one application. Now let's go to a personal application. Personal application gets tough. 
Because people come to me and they're like, man, Brandon, this is making me very angry. Um, I, I'm fit to be tied. It's, it's tough. I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of stuff. I'm, a lot of stressors in my life, Brandon. And I feel like I'm losing it, man. You know, and, and I get that from all kinds of people telling me this stuff. And I feel the pressure too, man. What they're doing is making me very angry as well. So let's go to what the Messiah said about anger and about this command. Okay, because the two anger and this command are tied together. Sam? Matthew 5, 21 through 22. You have heard it that it was said of old, you shall not murder. That He's referring to the command we just studied, right? And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment, right? Okay. Now, he's referring to, like, salvation and, and, and things of that nature. But, again, understand what he's trying, his point is. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause, notice the phrase, without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, thank God for the cause, uh, that clause. He's saying it is okay to be angry if you have a righteous cause. You should be angry about abortion. You should be angry about euthanasia. You should be angry about these vaccines and these mandates. You should be angry. It's okay in that regard if you have cause. Jesus had cause, and that's why he whipped the money changers out of the temple twice. He was very angry about what they were doing at the temple. Remember that? So the idea is to be angry and not sin. Okay, And so uh, what happens to some people is they're angry, but they allow themselves to cross over, and it starts becoming sin. And when it becomes sin, it becomes murderous. So the basis of murder comes from anger. That's where it starts. So if you don't corral your anger or, or, or understand what it's about, you will eventually cross that line, and you start going down the path of having uh, revenge, passive aggressiveness, uh, critical, all those kinds of things will start coming out in you, and you don't know why, but it's coming because you're angry. Okay, if that's happening to you, and you don't have cause, or maybe you do, the first thing you have to realize is why are people angry? Why do people get angry? The reason people get angry is because they have an injustice done to them Real or perceived. Okay, notice the clause I gave. Real could be real, but it might be perceived. If it's perceived, that means the person made it up in their head. But it could be real. Now, you're going to have four categories in which incite people. The first category is this. Something was taken from the person. Something was taken from the person. Real or perceived? Real or perceived? Second, something was given to the person that they didn't want. Real or perceived? Third, somebody's future was threatened or put in jeopardy. Real or perceived? And lastly, someone's reputation or identity was tarnished real or perceived. Those are the four categories that cause anger. Now the question then becomes, did what was taken from me, given to me that I didn't want, identity attacked, my future was threatened, 
was that in the realm of perception? Was that just made up by your own thinking and it really didn't happen? If that's the case, you need to dismiss it and get back to the truth of really what happened to you. If you don't, you'll stay in the realm of perception and you'll lose a thread on reality. That's what a lot of people do. They perceive things happening to them, but it's not. And you get all kinds of weird stuff start happening to the person. Paranoia, things of that nature, all things because of perception. Okay. So let's dismiss that with the truth. You dismiss that with the truth. Let's say those really, those things really did happen to you. You had something taken away from you, like your childhood. Right? Your innocence was taken from you. Something was given to you that you didn't want. Something put on a, put you on a situation that was not your fault. They forced you into a situation and you hated it. Real. Maybe someone did attack your reputation and identity and tarnished it. Maybe someone did uh, uh, threaten your future. Yeah, that's real. What do I do with that if it's real? Again, remember what, what anger is about. Anger is about injustice. Injustice being done to me. I'm angry about it. What does the person want? They want justice. Okay? It's okay to want justice. But if you're holding on to that, saying, I will force the justice some way, somehow, and I will hold on to that justice until I see it meted out, then you will become very angry and you will cross the line into murderous thoughts. Now, what do I mean by that? I want the justice. I want them to apologize for what they did. You're not going to get that. I want them to give me back my childhood. You're not going to get that. I want them to give me back my reputation. My ex-spouse destroyed my reputation and my identity. You're not going to get that. I, w- I had all kinds of stuff stolen from me, from my family, this and that. You're not going to get it back. So, and so the person holds on to it and holds on to it, and I won't let it go until I get those things back, and you're not getting it back. So what do I do? The issue with people about anger is that they won't trust God for the justice of their situation. They won't. They want to take matters into their own hands. They want to right the wrongs. They want to be Captain America and right all the wrongs that happened in their life. A la communism, Marxism, socialism. That's the basis of all those, those theories is that we're going to right the wrongs. We're going to equalize everything. We're going to be, be, uh, have equity and this and fairness. And so we're going to force the situation. But God's saying you can't force the situation. He's saying, will you trust me for what happened to you? Can you trust that you give this justice that you want and give it over to God and say, God, you're going to have to deal with that. I can't. It's too big for me. And I trust you to handle that situation. And rest assured, from God's standpoint, he will mete out justice. Whether it's in this life or the next, it's coming for everybody. Everybody. Everybody's going to get served justice. No doubt about that. So can you trust him that even though you don't see it in this life, that he eventually will deal with it? Then you can make the transfer in hand hand that over and release your anger. The second thing to release your anger is this. Not only to hand God the justice, but understand that he's got your future in his hands. What do you mean by that? See, if you lost a bunch of things in this life, 
Jesus said, if you are faithful to me and obedient to me and you follow me, one of the rewards is you will get your life back a hundredfold. Did you catch what I said? A hundredfold. Not just get your life back in the Messianic kingdom. You get your life back 100 times over. Everything that you lost, you get back 100 times over. Your reputation, you get it back. Your future is secure. You get it back. There's nothing that they can do to you. Your, your future is secure. If you can trust God for your future, and then instead of pointing back to what you lost, but point ahead to what you get, you can release it. You can release it. And the anger will start melting away. And the, the thing that you're holding on, the justice that you want, you can just give it to God and it'll start melting away. And you can be free of resentment, free of bitterness, free of revenge, free of all these things that are welling up inside of you and free of anger and free of murderous thoughts. All if you will give it to Jesus. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.